0: Welcome to Lead Wisco. I'm here with, I don't want to say our partner in crime, because for two pastors, that could be problematic. Could be. Bad for business. Could be. Here with Troy Murphy, uh, leader of Green Bay Community Church. I'm Ryan Kibbe, and we, Troy, have a great, great interview. That's
1: what I heard. I heard uh, you spent some time with Kurt.
0: His name is Kurt Owens, and I spent uh, probably an hour and a half on the phone. I said, Hey, uh, Kurt, can I have a a quick interview, a pre-interview and an hour and a half later when I dug into his story, I was blown away. You're going to be blessed by Kurt's story. So let's bring him in. Kurt Owens. Welcome to lead Wisco. How are you doing, Kurt? Hey, I'm doing fine, man. Thank you guys for having me today. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. I'm going to list off your resume real fast and then we're going to get right to who you are and, and what, what all is happening. Um, Number one, Bridge Builders Ministry. Kurt is the, the founder. He's the, he's the leader of the of nonprofit missional ministry, Bridge Builders. He's an overseer of a network of churches in the Milwaukee area called Milwaukee Declaration. And when we dig into that later, you're going to be amazed at all that's happening in his ministry, as well as Central City Church Planters. He's the founder and the president. Bottom line, Kurt, you're busy. You're a pastor. You're a leader. You're you're a bridge builder, uh, fair to
2: say. Oh man, absolutely! I I <laughs> keeping myself pretty busy nowadays.
0: <laughs> I'm yeah. already I'm already tired by the titles, but I know I know that God is doing some great things. Hey, I want to get right at this. Is your story? Uh, let me let me just kind of give some of the details for to, to set some of you up here. This 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 pastor, this leader, this this world changer, grew up in some very interesting climates and uh, you grew up you were a pastor's kid and you later as i got your story you went from pastor's kid to drug dealer how did that happen
2: (laughs) oh man uh well for me growing up uh you know salvation was a two-part process and i could not get past the second part (laughs) of the process and uh after a while I became angry at God uh, because I, you know, I didn't understand why he didn't want me. Um, And, you know, I I just began to look at God as like this, this crude dude that's just giving salvation away to his friends. (laughs) And I certainly wasn't one of his friends. And uh, so I just said, screw it. And uh, I turned to the streets and the streets seemed to embrace me. And so, you know, at a very young age, I got involved with gangs and started running around with gangs and. Um, you know, when I became a younger adult, you know, went from gangs to actually becoming a, a drug dealer, uh, which, um, uh, you know, it turns out that I was pretty good at that.
1: <laughs> hey, can, can you, I just want to stop for one thing. Cause I, I'm, there's a lot of research in this and I'm curious, Kurt, you just said something that really triggered for me. Uh, the streets accepted me. Yeah. What is happening in the church that we're not actually modeling the love of Jesus to actually accept people because you said something that's profoundly true the right brain really is we're more profoundly impacted by right brain which is relationships and so here the street says come on Kurt we love you what's the problem in the church today you think because why aren't we accepting people like that
2: yeah, you know that that that's insane. When we really begin to think about it, we portray ourselves as separating ourselves from the world, but we separate ourselves so far from the world and everything that we do, even in our small groups. You know, we <laughs> yeah we love our small groups, but actually, what our small groups end up doing is shutting shutting people on the outside out. And uh, and so I just think we have to be intentional about saying, "What does it look like uh, to be in relationship and invite?" people in the world into our lives, uh so so they could feel that acceptance and um and, and and not have to feel like, you know, I don't line up and I'm not good enough and all of those different things that people uh find themselves going through. I, I think we have That's to good. tap into that. That's well.
1: really good.
0: Well, first of all, Kurt, um, I can somewhat relate to you because I also grew up a pastor's kid, and in one of my great transgressions was uh, mooning a church of five thousand, mooning them on a Christmas Eve uh, pageant uh, thing, and so yeah, I got in trouble. I, I didn't move to drug dealing, but um, but that did happen. Okay, moving on. That was just worthless information, Troy, I just thought I'd go. Well, thanks for offering. I, I will not moon the audience today. Thank you. Um, Kurt, I need to go back to something here. One of the things that Troy picked up on too. There's a lot of reasons why our journeys go this way and that way. Like for me, when we were talking before, my parents' divorce took us, took me into a trajectory where I walked away from God for 15 years. You grew up a pastor's kid. You said, "Here's yeah. the question I have for you: Is was there a defining moment that took you?" especially when it came to the way your dad's upbringing was in Mississippi, when we talked about some of the oppression that he felt there was, was some of the racism that he felt, we're going to get into some things here, but was some of that, did that help shape your life narrative at that, at that age?
2: Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think, you know, my dad was born in uh, 1936 in Oxford, Mississippi. Uh, so he grew up during the Jim Crow era. And yeah. so his his lens of white America was you can only imagine. <laughs> right. <laughs> that, that exact same lens is when he uh, migrated uh, to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Um, you know, his lens was the same lens that he would instill into his children. And so I grew up with this mindset that I could not become anything that I wanted to become. I grew Mm. up with this mindset that, uh, you know, white America would limit me and, you know, becoming anything that I would have desired to become. And so I was always prepared, you know, my dad always prepared us for for racism that, you know, people are going to treat you fairly, Um, you know, you you find yourself in legal trouble, you know, it's gonna be worse for you than anybody else and all of those different things. And so, you know, I, I saw, so I grew up with that uh, mindset, not only in my household, but when I went to school, I was sat in front of a TV and, and I remember in probably kindergarten and they had me watching the civil rights movement and I'm watching dogs bite people who look like me. I'm looking at water hoses be sprayed, uh, towards people who look at like me. And so not only was I impacted at home, but it was reinforced at school uh, in my neighborhood. Again, it was more reinforced because other children in my neighborhood uh, felt that way as well. And so so it was, it was deeply ingrained growing up that uh, we were not equal, I was not equal and I would not have equal opportunities.
1: Wow. Hey, Kurt, just so you do, uh, hold your mic a little bit away from your sweater. You're, as you get excited and tell us your story, uh, we can we can hear the excitement. But I, I, I think, okay. help us understand then how did the mindset of white America, which I, I think you'd agree, started to seed in the reality of racism against you. But how did you then become... Was there a point at which you recognized or started to see that you became racist yourself? How, how, did that happen?
2: Ah, uh, you know, I. That's a good. That's a really a good question. Actually, I I think I was constructed. I my my mindset was constructed to believe a certain way about. Yeah all white people. I just assumed that all white people were, were evilly racist. And so yeah. I don't know if that could be, if that's a racist mindset all, all in yeah. itself, when you take a, with a whole group of people and you just deem them all as one way. Um, that's, that was just kind of my, my mindset because it, again, it was reinforced at home, my neighborhood yeah. as well as um, at school.
1: Yeah, And I ask it because I mean, at least now we've, would you agree, we've broadened the definition of racism in this modern culture. And so a lot of it is if we stereotype people into one um, concept or idea, uh, we, we see them one way, uh, we make a lot of assumptions. And so I don't think, it's funny, the word racism used to mean uh, a hateful, hurtful act, which I still think that's what it means. But we've broadened that to mean, you're racist if you stereotype anyone in any way, even subtly. And so probably that's my comment more of, it sounds like you started to stereotype whites in America a certain way. And not saying you're wrong for that, more just saying, how do you not, when you're getting one view and a mindset uh, that you're seeing white America unfold against uh, your ethnicity, I think that's realistic. And I think even in the conversation, it's easy for any of us to to fall into stereotyping people.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I I would absolutely agree. And, um, you know, and I tell people all the time, like, you know, well, how could your dad, you know, raise you that way? Well, my dad's experience was real.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
2: (laughs) And, you know, and and certainly times were changing, but uh, his experience uh, was, was was a real thing.
0: Kurt, let me pivot. Real quick, I want to come back to this thing on racism because this is a big, big part of what God is doing in your ministry, and I want to hit that. But going through your journey, there was a moment, so you've adopted the narrative, white people are against me, and God is against me. That was was a direct quote from our last conversation. Yeah. And then you're in the gangs, and you're cultivating a leadership gift aimed in the (laughs) wrong direction— amongst these gangs so all of a sudden the seeds of greatness are being fostered and watered in the wrong place and then all of a sudden you're at a place where you're square in the face of a gun uh talk to me about that moment where god intersected two worlds collide and your your whole world changed in that gang
2: yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, uh, robbed three times by gunpoint. I think the last time that I w- I've been shot at, and, and it was just the last time that I was robbed where it did something to me. Um, yeah. I was told to get down on my knees. And and probably a couple of weeks prior to that, a friend of mine and his dad was murdered in the same way. They were told to get down on their knees, and they were both executed in the back of their mm. head. And, um, and so now I'm being told to get down on my knees, and I'm just figuring, ah, wow, this is it. And I just remember just saying, "Lord, forgive me." I figured that's all I had, and <laughs> I—I I was actually surprised that I had enough time to say that.
1: Yeah, right. <laughs> um, mm-hmm.
2: But, um, I, but I said, "Lord, forgive me." When I seemed I was still alive, I just like, well, uh, God, if, if you can get me out of this situation, I'm 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 going to change my life. And I didn't know what I would have to do to finish the second part of the process, but I was willing to do it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um,
2: wow. And. You know, one thing led to another. I, You know, I made the decision that I wasn't going to get down on my knees. And I told the gunman, I'm I'm not getting down on my knees. You'll have to shoot me while I'm standing up. And the other gunman uh, asked for the money. I didn't, you know, they had already stole all the drugs and they wanted money. And so I led them to the top porch. I was on the second story. And I led them to the top porch and I opened up the the door. I couldn't believe they let me open up the door. But when they let me open up the door, I saw the sun. And the sun was the most beautiful thing I ever seen in my life, because it appeared to me that I saw the sun in the sun.
1: Mm, wow! <laughs> and mm-hmm.
2: I re- I reached underneath the banister uh, on on the second story porch, and I just flipped my body off the banister, and, and I ran like nobody's business. And I just and I was barefooted, landed on my feet. I you know don't ask me how.
1: <laughs> it's
2: amazing what you can do when your life is on right, the line. Right? No kidding. <laughs> Uh, but but i knew that day without a shadow of a doubt that god had spared my life yeah i did not know why because i'm always thinking to my i was always thinking to myself man i didn't even finish the second part of the process like why did he, why did he just spare my life I, I could not understand but but that was a pivotal moment for me and certainly a moment that i made the decision like i'm not selling drugs again this is it
0: And then part of your journey, I mean, it was amazing to me. And this is part of where we're headed in this interview. And one of the key moments, you take a job, you move to Sussex, Wisconsin. And based on uh, what you told me previously, this, I found this fascinating. You were a part of an office that was 63rd out of 63 divisions in that company. Yes. Tell us from a leadership perspective, When you made that decision to move there, two things happened. One, the cultural climate of that town was vastly different than where you were in Milwaukee. And number two, God had an assignment there for you walk us through that whole process, because this is where we're going to get to the word construction and reconstruction based on this moment in your life. Can you kind of bring us in on that?
2: Absolutely. First, let me say I didn't move there. Um, but as much time as i spent in sussex wisconsin <laughs> you could have might as well i said I moved my apologies I, to, I i thought you had I'm sorry, sorry about that, that. No, no problem uh people wanted to kill me in milwaukee so I, so i spent all of my time in sussex and so i ended up taking <laughs> got it a job, uh making seven dollars and fifty cents an hour uh for a pharmaceutical company nonetheless i was a delivery driver for a pharmaceutical company so i'm still delivering drugs but this time they're going to they're legal <laughs> yeah doctor's wow. offices uh but what was interesting was is i you know the, the town of sussex was i mean was uh, yeah it looked to me to be uh, over 90 percent white and i'm bracing myself for racism uh because again that's just in my, my mind frame and uh but the funny thing that happened is like i never experienced it my route was in uh, Watertown. I was in Economo Walk. I was in Delafield, Fort Atkinson. All of these different places that uh, there's where you won't find a bunch of black people. And for whatever reason, like people were treating me nice. <laughs> and uh, and what, what ended up happening, even at, at my job, my boss he asked me to come off of the road, and and uh, he was a young white guy, and uh, he brought me into the warehouse, made me warehouse manager, and. Uh, You know, from there, he asked me, he's like, well, if you are willing to come into the front office, um, I'll train you on anything that you want to learn if you're willing to punch out. And initially, I'm thinking to myself, you know, he's dangling the carrot, um, you know, and I think he wants me to work for free. (laughs) That was was kind of my mindset. But I'm thinking to myself, man, if I I don't have any education at this point in time, I'm I'm a college dropout. And so I just make the decision. I'm going to punch out and I'm going to go in the front office because, you know, I don't want to go back home to Milwaukee anyway. People are trying to kill me. (laughs) So I hang out in the front office and he started training me on everything there was in the front office. And as soon as somebody uh, left our our branch to go to another branch in another place part of the country, uh, a position was open and nobody knew how to do the job but me. And when he placed me in that first role in the front office, that's when I realized, okay, wait a minute. You know, this guy's not dangling the carrot. Like this guy actually has an interest in me, and I, and it blew my mind because I really didn't think it was possible. Um,
0: because white America white is against me, right, Kurt?
2: <laughs> exactly. You know, white. What people is going don't on black here? Black <laughs> this doesn't fit
0: my narrative.
2: <laughs> right, and the funny thing was, like, this guy wasn't a Christian, but like he's loving on me. Yeah. Like a Christian. Like a christian should
0: right wow. um, imagine that that's awesome so I,
2: I, I my mind is blown and now i'm just working my way up through the front office because now i realize like hard work and dedication it actually it Pays actually off. Can pay off for me yeah <laughs> and, and so from the time that i go to the front office um you know i think a period of about 14 months from the time that i was robbed to the time um, you know, I actually got offered uh, a larger role in our corporate office in Jackson, Mississippi. We went when I went into the front office, we were the 63rd ranked branch in the country. Uh we moved to number one and I worked my way up to be second and the second uh in charge at that branch, uh to my boss. And uh and when they found out what we did in, in, in Wisconsin, our Jackson uh corporate office, uh offered me a position to take over 13 branches around the country.
1: Wow! And
2: I remember going home that day and I just cried. I stopped at the stop sign and I cried because, again, I'm thinking to myself, I never passed the second part of the process. So God spared my life and he took me from a seven dollar and fifty cents hour job to becoming a corporate executive. And I have no college education. God, why are you loving on me? I, don't, yeah. I didn't know why.
0: Yeah. And then you told me later, I just want to, and then Troy, I'll bring you in too. You got a huge revelation. And this is the part I feel like is really important for people to understand. And and I wrote it down. He said, my dad's, this is your dad's, your dad's construction of race was forged completely different than yours, where his dad's lens was shaped by trauma. Kurt's lens, yours was shaped by a white man. Yeah. Everything changed for you in that moment. And then the ministry and all of that began to forge a path. Can you kind of walk us into that part?
2: Yeah, well, well, part of that, you know, uh, that I talk about in that is like in corporate America, the greatest thing that ever happened to me happened through the hands of a white man. But once I get to Jackson, Mississippi, within two weeks, and being in Jackson, Mississippi, I get a knock at the door and it's an older white gentleman. And he wants to share the gospel with me i don't know where he came from it was raining outside it's dark I'm like what is this dude doing witnessing out here and like he, he wants to share. and i tell him i'm like where well, you wasting your time on pastor's kid you can go witness to somebody else and he asked me that question it's like if you die today what be the reason why you would ask god to let you in i gave a bunch of god awful answers but he showed me a passage of scripture i'd never seen in my life romans 10 and 9. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead, you shall be saved. And I couldn't believe that was in the Bible. And I'm like, let me make sure that's the King James Version, because in the black community, (laughs) anything other than the King James Version, you're trying to trick me. Um, (laughs)
0: But (laughs) um,
2: he had a King James Version. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, (laughs) and I'm arguing with him. I'm like, no, you got to be holy. You got to be righteous. You got to do this. And he's like, read it again. And he kept making me read that same passage and he left me with the Bible. He left that night and I tossed and turned all that night and probably about 435 o'clock in the morning. I come to the conclusion, if that's true, then I've been saved since I was eight years old. And I I just cried like a baby uh, because I couldn't believe like that. Somebody like me could have salvation all these years. I've been living on the outside, not understanding why my life was spared, not understanding why. I, I was one of the few of my friends that didn't go to prison, and all of these things it began to just manifest itself. But on the other end of that, and get, to get to your point, it was like my again in the very in the very state my dad was born and raised in. <laughs> uh, I found salvation through the hands.
1: Yeah, of a white you were man. born and yeah. saved. Wow, <laughs> born and raised, born and saved. It's good. You know, let me ask you. So, Kurt, and I'm I'm a strong believer in the fact that our stories, uh, and they offer, and I'm going to steal the word you use, they reconstruct or they construct how we think, how we live, and we operate, and whether they're lies we believe or good things. um, In that, I also believe, I think, Americans – tend to think that trouble, persecution, hardship, are all negative, they're bad, when I actually think there's a gift in it. And I wanna go back to the gang era. Have you figured out what gift you were given in the midst of that season?
2: How, oh, when I was a gang? Well, it's funny because um, it was leadership. <laughs> Yeah, the ability to get people to follow you, and you know, I I, I use that as as a sermon analogy one time. It's like just how easy it how easy it is to stir up mischief in people and to get people to follow. Uh, But what does it look like to stir up, as as Hebrews tell us? What does it look like to stir up (laughs) goodness, love, and good work? And, And it's like, and so you could take that same that same dynamic that you use for the enemy. and and, and you can use it for uh, pushing the kingdom forward Mm
1: -hmm. and when you agree too what a great message for us to recognize and realize that even as i mean we've seen great leaders fall and misuse power Mm -hmm. how in that position of leadership it's great weight burden and responsibility because the inner part of our life can rot really quick because uh, yeah. truth be told, I'm a pastor, but guess what? A l- too much power that I don't have a sense of bringing that before God, like a humility or a surrender of that, it'll get me. And you probably watch that unfold mm-hmm. in that situation, but we would all agree we're watching that unfold even in – it's not just gangs, it's Christians, it's corporations, it's it's all over our world.
2: Yeah. I, I I would certainly agree, and I just think we're we're in a place in time right now. I think during this COVID season that I think every church, every leader, every pastor uh, needs to look within and begin yeah. to start asking some of those same questions, like what God, God, our have we been pleasing to you? Or, yeah, or do yeah. we need to revamp? <laughs> you know, everything we've been doing, everything that we've been thinking, God, you know, what what are you saying?
0: I, I want to then escalate the conversation to all of a sudden now you you've got a whole new paradigm shift kurt and in our conversations previous you talk about that transition from what you were doing in the business realm and you felt a call into full-time ministry and i'm going to say this statement that you brought to my attention that you know almost from a biblical perspective you were born for such a time as this but you said this you said I'm not into racial reconciliation, but you are into racial reconstruction, and that is what's driving you. And people are like, what do you mean you're not into racial reconciliation? (laughs) Right. That thought process and what what Troy brought in about being constructed and the lenses with which we see, that has driven you to the... Time we're in right now. Can you take us from Mississippi to the ministry and the two terms, racial reconciliation, and why you don't like that term and why recon- well, reconstruction is so important to you?
2: Ab- absolutely. Um, I'm going to uh, l- let me just start with the reconciliation and, and reconstruction. First off, uh, reconciliation never made sense to me um because there's never been a time in America where yes. the overall black and white community has ever been reconciled.
1: Right. 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 So, like,
2: I agree. What are we what are we reconciling to? Right, <laughs> exactly. Never, I mean certainly there's probably been some personal relationships between, you know, white and black people, but just the overall dynamic, there's never been a time where the black and white community has been in peace. Um, in in our country. Um, And so, you know, a man can be reconciled back to God because at one point in time, man was at peace with God. But man can't be uh, (laughs) black and white men can't be reconciled back to each other because we've never been conciled. However, uh, you know, I use the term reconstruction because you know, we were all constructed one way or another, and this goes for black and white people. Um, you know, uh, you know, I, I think racism and uh, all of that, all of that is that's learned behavior. That people don't just wake up in the morning yeah. and. <laughs> they'd say you know what i don't like i don't like what color you are this is all learned behavior so whatever family that you were brought up in and whatever community you were brought up in you were constructed with a particular lens to believe and to think about a particular group of people in a particular way and until you have a different experience you can't be reconstructed and so for me my experience was it reconstructed my lens because initially my lens was based off of my dad's experience which was a real experience but uh, my reconstruction was based off of you know my the, the, my young white boss who put his arms around being loved on me the way the church should love on me (laughs) and who wasn't even a christian and then uh, you know i I go to mississippi and you know there's this uh, white guy who shares the gospel with me like i'd never heard it before and you know and i realized like man i'm a child of god how amazing is that and so all of a sudden i realized i could no longer use broad strokes on a whole group of people it was at that point in time i realized does racism exist? Yes, it exists. Does it exist in every person? Absolutely not. And I started focusing my attention on the people uh who were good. Because I mean the Bible, I mean Jesus says he says by your by the fruits you will know them. And so I found myself being driven by being a fruit watcher. So I never protest anything. I love I that. Wow. Fruit watcher. Business. I promote. I promote. I don't. I don't. I don't protest hatred. I promote love. I don't protest racism. I promote unity. Um, and so I just have gotten a lot further by yeah. uh, by fruit watching as opposed to fighting people who have built up hatred. Like only God can change them. There's no need yeah. for me to <laughs> to fight with you. And so I go to Mississippi. Uh, it was also uh, ethnically different for me because it was the first time in my life I seen black people um and, and professional roles and you know educated you know and in my community in milwaukee i'm not saying it didn't exist so don't get me wrong but just in the community that i grew up in i didn't see any white collar black people i only saw blue collar black people and that didn't appeal to me right. but when i went to mississippi at our church everybody was educated except me and my wife <laughs> and and so it, it stirred something up in us where we wanted to become educated, even though I was a corporate executive, I, you know, I, I, I wanted education, came back to Milwaukee and, and planted my first church. And, uh, you know, g- God just began to start stirring some things up there. So I was bi-vocational, uh, initially and would eventually quit my job and do ministry full-time as a volunteer pastor. <laughs> Good for
1: you, brother. That's, that's real new Testament too, by the way, I, I think we've, uh, <laughs> We've, we've made careers out of a spiritual position that might be one of our biggest problems too in America. Hey, I yeah. do want to talk a little bit about, I just, I love your story. I think your story is uh, amazing. And I would say, I, I just, it's a confession too. I think one of the stereotypes we do, we, we hear African-American story, a black person's story, Hispanic story, we can already kind of, oh, well, there's got to be a story of gangs or immigration. And I think that's part of the stereotyping we have to break. But So it's not that really I'm fascinated with. I'm just fascinated in the midst that uh, God used your story actually to shape you, that actually you have become who you are because of your story. You needed the gang years, which is crazy to think about. God redeems the, the mess and the brokenness that we're in. So my dad was the drug dealer, by the way, who wow. was a, a white cowboy man that was high, very racist, and we went to church every week. So talk about that paradigm. But that shaped me, and I I'm thankful for my dad, as hard as he was, evil as he was, actually he gave me a gift, and the gift was I realized what I didn't want. And I love hearing your story just about even influence. Uh, there's, there's a fine line between manipulation and influence, right? And you yeah. started to find those differences. Uh, I would love to hear a little bit about just a couple things of what is your definition of leadership, Kurt? What, when we talk leadership, what does that mean to you?
2: well when 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 I think of leadership uh, immediately I think of it in a in, in a in a biblical uh perspective not so much as 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 maybe the world may look at it um and, and w- when I see that the first thing that I say when I look for a church planter the first question I ask them is are you willing to die for the sheep <laughs> yeah <laughs> if you're yeah. not willing to die for the sheep you're you're a terrible leader. <laughs> Right. I mean, when you think about the captain of the ship, like the captain has to be willing to go down with the right. ship. Right. Like, That's right. Like, and, and, and so that that self-sacrifice has to be number one, um, because think about, you know, Jesus like, man, if he had not been this guy who made the decision that I'm going to stay on the cross, <laughs> I'm going to go through this suffering, I'm going to go through this torturing. Just imagine if he had not have been self-sacrificial. We would all be lost, and so I look at that very same concept for leaders in, in in today's dynamic. And I think a leader that's not willing to put himself on the chopping block for those that he's lead that he leads, un, un, unfortunately, is not a great leader. Now, will you have? Uh, I think you have people that are followed, and you know, at at, at probably at the the most. Uh, uh, smallest level of leadership that people would say, well, a leader is one that has followers. Well, you know, I, I don't necessarily right. uh, define that at that way because people can lead you straight to hell. That's a that's leader. right. That's right. <laughs> so, uh, so me when I think of leadership, I'm I'm, I'm always thinking of yeah know, thinking of from a, from a Christian perspective.
1: Yeah, through a biblical lens. Yeah, which you're right. We would we would probably argue and say leadership whether leveraged for good or evil is very present in our world and so to differentiate that is interesting and so there's a world idea of leadership which means followers people doing the stuff you want them to do but there's a biblical definition that looks really different and it's almost it almost has a little bit more to do with losing followers losing popularity i mean there's like a a death to self right there
2: there yeah yeah so it is it is you you just hit it right on the nail and um you know i i've I've kind of went through that process in life where you know i had to make some decisions of you know what would be good for kurt versus what would be good for the kingdom um and and I, i think at some juncture every leader would be um faced with that conundrum um, and, and a choice has to be made. And yeah, ha- and that's where uh, a real true faith walk begins to come. Right. I, I think that's a part of the reasons of why I walked away from a very good paying job and and became a volunteer pastor full time. Yeah. Um, and not only did I do that, but I was I mean, God really challenged me. And yeah. I-, I thought I was going crazy at one point in time, but um, I didn't realize that money was an idol for me. Um, and, and, and it it was, but not only did I quit my job, but I cleaned out my bank account and I gave all the money to the church. Wow. And let me tell you, like, God just took me through a period. Uh, I mean, I lost 40 pounds. (laughs) I I, I was going through it. Is that that all it takes?
1: Is that all it (laughs) takes? I lose 40 pounds. I I mean, I, I'm maybe do that.
0: I might do that actually. (laughs) We don't advocate this. No. <laughs> hey Kurt, I got a question on leadership. Troy brought up a great point about leadership. I want to just ask you about challenges. Your leadership challenges. What would you say your biggest challenge as a leader? So you get this all in process of you're now you're now leading in a church. And and, and a couple of things I, I gathered from you in our first conversation when we were talking is it, you know. Here you are, you've been pastor, you've pastored in a predominantly white church and, and and a predominantly African-American church. You have had experiences in both, and as you've transitioned and moved into your current ministries, what would you say the biggest challenges and obstacles you faced as a leader as you moved into full-time leadership in the church ministries?
2: Um, I I, I think one of the things uh, that I could say that that was a a great challenge for me was um, disconnecting myself from um, what everybody else is doing. Um, You know, there is, we we live in a copycat society. And so this is the way you plant churches. This is the way you do ministry. There's a model for this and there's a a model for that. And then there's, you know, wanting to be a part of, you know, the, the circles, you know, I, uh, you know, and one, we're, we're always looking for acceptance, no matter what we're doing. And so I, I think for me in ministry, that went, was a great challenge for me because I wanted to fit in somebody's circle. And it was not until I realized and began to embrace exactly who it was that God called me to be. Because at one point in time, I'm telling you, I was wearing collars and suits. and <laughs> Wow ministry and i mean that because those were the circles that i come from and that was the way people say you did things and and all of a sudden god was just challenging me to be exactly who it was that he called me to be uh and and when i embraced that the moment i embraced that um just things just really began to change for me uh through, throughout the course of that and right. so from from ministry to ministry and that's from going from an all black ministry to going to a predominantly white ministry uh on, you know then comes you know uh, uh, you know more new challenges uh right. you know the way you preach to an all black congregation versus the way you preach to oh, yeah. a predominantly white <laughs> congregation is different
0: it <laughs> is different
2: <is. laughs> Very different. And so I had to learn how to preach to, uh, you know, uh, Trump supporters on one side of the aisle and, (laughs) and people who were heavily left on the other side of the aisle. Like how do you do this without upsetting anybody? Right. Um, right. I just came to the conclusion that I would upset everybody because that's exactly what the gospel does. Um, and, and I was really thankful for that because it was in the challenge of, of learning who God called me to be was it allowed me to free myself from everybody else's expectations. I was able to free myself from political leanings and I could just focus completely on the gospel. And I'm just like, it, at, at one juncture, I just got to the point where I didn't care who got upset because I preached the gospel. <laughs>
1: right. Like
2: if you hadn't been, then it's probably because I didn't preach the gospel. <laughs>
0: There's a real connection um, as I look at your story, and I'm going to bring us up to current speed with your Bridge Builders ministry because there's some crazy cool things that I'm hearing that God is doing through your ministry in that. But uh, looking at kind of the vision, Kurt, you're, you're part of Milwaukee Declaration, which I'm going to let you expound on, Bridge Builders. But can you share kind of the vision of Bridge Builders and, and, and how you're leading people? into the current narrative of racial reconstruction in, in Milwaukee in lieu of this little incident this year called the George Floyd incident. we That's a lot going on that you're aiming at in a year where I think we would all agree was highly charged this past 2020, but yet incredible things that you saw. Can you expound on bridge builders, the aims of that vision, especially in the in the climate that we're in right now
2: yeah, well, well the, the mission of, of Bridge Builders, and, and we launched Bridge Builders about five years ago be, while we were looking at launching a, a, a new ministry um, in the neighborhood. And part of that was, you know, we need to engage our communities in ways that the church has not engaged our communities. And because we, we're always asking the church, we always asking the communities to come to us. And in my community, I mean, the prosperity gospel gets a bad rap. And, and many people in my community think the church is all about, you know, what can you give the church? (laughs) Um, And so in that sense, I made a decision that we would uh, engage the community in ways that we could just show them the love of the gospel without having this idea, we want you to come to church. And so our mission was to inspire inner city innovation that will holistically transform neighborhoods one block at a time. And we began with our house being the help. And we started bringing in uh, missionaries from all over the country. Actually, that first year, I brought in 250 missionaries from all over the country and they were coming from rural areas. Wow. They were coming from areas and pretty much uh, over 90 percent white uh, of The people that came into our neighborhoods. And we began to come alongside some of the residents in the community because um, I had knocked on doors and heard uh, some of their concerns and some of the struggles that they were going through. And uh, at no cost to the residents whatsoever. We were. Uh, d- Replacing the roofs on the garages, uh, putting new siding on the garages and putting up garage doors. We work right in the middle of the alley because that's where I saw the drug deals happening. And, and some apparently um, <laughs> drug dealers don't like selling drugs when there's 50 white people in the alley. <laughs> uh, so, so it just ended that that killed the drugs being sold in the in the alleys and, and, uh, where I lived at. But what ended up happening, what was really powerful is that people would knock on doors of our residents and they'd be like, hey, my pastor lives on this block. And you know, we we're just walking around trying to get to know some of the residents in this community. And let me tell you, none of the residents pictured me as their pastor, because there's not many, well, very, very few black pastors pastoring uh, white congregants. And so what that did is it opened up the door for uh, people to come into our community without having to worry about, am I gonna be viewed as a great white savior coming into this neighborhood? Because everybody knew that people that were coming into this neighborhood, they they came with me. And, And so that was powerful, the fact that I remained present because God had challenged my heart and stopped me from moving out of the neighborhood and moving to the suburbs. And God didn't allow that to happen. I stayed and I remained and, and we launched bridge builders. And so we purchased a dilapidated property uh, down the street from my house. We renovated it. And I, I'm, this is where I'm at now. This is where we office. So we will never have a commercial building. We'll always operate within the neighborhood out of houses so we can be part of the fabric of the community. But That's what awesome. I saw what was happening Is I thought we were going to improve the neighborhood by helping people fix their homes and, you know, just build some relationships and things like that. But what I saw God doing was we were actually creating a platform where black and white people were able to connect in in non-threatening ways. And so it was just and and this was happening in the midst of this great racial divide that was happening all around us.
1: Right.
0: Right. (laughs)
2: <laughs> On 40th in Hampton, God was uniting the black and white communities with people that would have never had an opportunity to meet one another. And so the beauty for me was to take somebody that I had a, a kid here from from Green Bay and like, OK, uh, he went back repenting because he told me when he came, he thought he was not going to see nothing but a bunch of terrible people who lived in the central city. But he met some some wonderful people here. And so the win for us was like, he's now he's going to go back to Green Bay and he's going to tell people, hey, wait a minute. You know, I experienced the Central City. It's not like what what you see on the news. Um, and same thing for the people that were here. There were some people that were here that believed that everybody on the outside were like against them, kind of like what, how I was constructed and, and their minds were changed. And so what we're saying that what Bridge Builders is what God was doing is he was allowing People to have their minds racially reconstructed uh, just simply by the love of the gospel. People coming alongside you, loving on you for no, for no reason whatsoever. You're trying to figure out why. That's, so but, good. But that's the love of the gospel. And because I was a recipient of that, you know, I've just kind of taken that same model and to allow that to be used in our community. Um, so good, and so that's been beautiful. It's it's been a beautiful picture of what what God has been doing.
1: Let me ask you a, a question. So you are experiencing. It seems like uh, white churches, m- multicultural churches, obviously black churches. Let me ask you the question: What do you wish white churches would know? What do you wish? What do you wish could happen with white churches specifically?
2: Uh, one is that there are some there's some great people in the city of in the city of Milwaukee. There's some great leaders in the city of Milwaukee that are under resourced. Um, mm. There's some decent theology <laughs> in a central city. The Black Church has stood and existed uh, minus uh, any help from the white church for over 400 years, even when slavery was happening. You know, the Black Church has been very, very resilient and being able to do that. And I think um, it's really important for white churches to understand that that we got something to learn from one another. Um, uh, uh, You know, that the the black church has something to offer the white church as the white church has something to offer uh, the black church. Um, And I think the more we find ourselves in relationship, the more we can begin to start benefiting from the whole of what God has created in the earth. I think we only have pieces we only have a few pieces of the puzzle i, I think we operating in the ministry without having all the pieces of the puzzle and when we have our full deck of cards you ever try to play cards with without having a full deck
1: <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: that's the way i see our churches right now yeah. we're trying to battle satan without a full deck of cards and yeah. he's kicking our butt <laughs> yeah. but once we begin to start uniting and we all, all of a sudden we have a full deck of cards uh, I think we can begin to start eliminating our, 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 uh, eliminating the enemy.
1: That's so good because I could sense, too, in your spirit of what you're talking about is that you're right. We're all incomplete. We all don't have good theology. We won't have perfect theology until Jesus returns. And yet I love what you're asking is that, hey, often I think white churches think, well, we, we got to go help the black churches or inner city churches. Wait, they actually might be able to help you. So I think yeah. for white to understand, you might receive more than you actually give in the experience of what you're talking about, this reconstruction, this bridge building, which is really beautiful. Well, well, let me rapid fire you. This is, uh, I've never done this before, but I want to try it. I'm going to give you one word and I want you just to give me what your quick response is. Just quick, not, not long explanation, but I'm just going to go through it. All right. Ready? Okay. Leadership.
2: Self-sacrifice.
1: Vulnerability.
2: And what? Well, I don't know if I can do that within <laughs> in one word. No, you can say it a couple words. Go <laughs> ahead. Uh, well, 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 it's not worried about the outcome of what mm, I
1: have to say. That's so good. good word. Failure.
2: Embrace it. Yeah, for success. Mm
1: -hmm. Power.
2: All in
1: Jesus. (laughs) That's great. How about trust?
2: All in Jesus.
1: You can't keep using that answer. Faith. (laughs) Well,
2: (laughs) it's the words that you're using. I got you. Yes, I got you. All of those words, it's like, man, I lean on Jesus for that. So faith, trust.
1: Yeah, there you (laughs) go. Okay. One more influence.
2: Influence. Uh, that is a uh, dying to self and allowing Christ to live through you.
1: Good. Uh, oh, that's so good. Do you see an intersection then? Uh, actually it's, it's a dumb question. I'm asking a really dumb question because you've answered it. Your faith and leadership are melded together. in fact, they can't be separated. That's what I'm sensing in you, Kurt.
2: Th- that's absolutely, that's absolutely true. Um, it's, it, it's it's absolutely true it's it's because god has given me a front row seat to the story of my life and I, i'm at an age now where i can connect the dots you know which is a beautiful thing because at one point you know i could not connect the dots of why i had this experience and that experience like yeah. how does this all go together and god has given me a front row seat allowed me to connect the dots and certainly i would say that that my faith is a and, and what God has done through my yeah, life yeah. is where my greatest influence sits.
1: Well, I, I know you're going to finish this up here, Ryan, but I just want to say, first of all, I, having never met you and just this, my first conversation with you, one, I so want to go down to Milwaukee and just hang out and learn from you. Uh, I, I really mean that. I second I, that. I wrote down, I want to... Partner, support, do whatever I can to help Central City Church planners and bridge builders. So, I'm just excited to to learn uh, what that means to for us to reconstruct.
0: Reconstruct,
1: I think relationship that way. Oh gosh, I just feel like I have to move to Milwaukee. Now, what's great is I drive to Milwaukee because I'm now a grandpa, so I'm I'm down there a oh. lot. Okay. You, you, it might be my granddaughter and then hanging out with Kurt. You might be like number two on my list now to hang out with. But man, Kurt, thank you so much. I just loved your honesty and, and what you brought uh, is so good.
0: So Kurt, it's to bring pleasure. it, to kind of bring it full circle. I, I love what Troy did. He, he brought it down to words and, and, and what they mean to you. You have said time and again, when I've talked to you previously, and even in this, we're really in a narrative war the George Floyd thing, the Black Lives Matter, many of us don't know how to handle the narrative that's culturally out there. We're all about reconstruction is what, what we're talking about here. Educate the people watching right now, listening right now, in this narrative war as a, as a, as a way to reconstruct that narrative both on this conversation and out in the real world. How do we reconstruct the George Floyd narrative, the Black Lives Matter? These are tense filled topics that you've been navigating as well. Can you, can you give us some closing comments on that?
2: Absolutely, I you know I, I stay away from the uh, term Black Lives Matter. They do matter. I'm black.
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yes,
2: I, I stay I stay away from terms that that has a, a negative connotation because, and just from a strategic perspective, because yeah. it's important to me that people hear what I have to say. <laughs> and there are some groups of people. The moment you mention that term, uh, they shut they shut their ears off. And so I, I say. Um, the, the, I, I think that that whole narrative, what needs to happen is people need to have uh, an experience, a positive experience with someone of the other. And, and in order to do that, you've got to find yourself in relationship with someone of the other because you have to. Uh, understand where I come from and how I was raised. And only way we can do that is by being in relationship with one another. And then you will understand why I have that I have. And it's so easy to talk about them and those people over there. But when you find yourself in relationship, now you're saying, wait, hold up. Like uh, my friend Kurt is over there or my friend Ryan is over. Hold up. Hold up. Hold up a second. And we need more of that. And so for me, it's like again, uh, I don't do a whole lot of protesting. I do a, a much more promoting. And so I would tell anybody if, uh, from, from from all sides of the aisle, just begin to start fruit watching and sh- mm. try to find some people <laughs> who want to be a part of the solution. Don't even worry about fighting those who only God
0: can change. I love I that. Love that.
1: Fruit watching.
0: Fruit watching. And that is a great <laughs> word to end this yeah. conversation. I was yeah. educated today,
1: Yeah. I was too. I'm coming to Milwaukee.
0: All right. <laughs> Kurt, it's been it's been real. I'm looking forward hey. to seeing what's happening, what will continue to happen in that. If you want to get in touch with Kurt, um, I believe we'll be able to.
1: Yeah, well, some get- saying in the closing comments here, we'll, we'll put up something.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Okay. All right, man. Should we. Uh, All right. Hey, gentlemen. I, I appreciate the conversation. I think I think you're on to something really, really special. Yeah. Uh, I think that Milwaukee is blessed to have you. I think I think people's eyes are open to some things today. And remember, behind every leader, there's a story. Yeah. And we need to before people as leaders buy into what you're doing, they first need to know who you are, because who you are defines what you do. And so, awesome. Troy,
1: thanks, brother. Lead us out. All right. We'll see you guys later. Lead Wisco.
2: Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening today. Hopefully you were moved by some of the things Kurt had to say, maybe his ministry, or maybe you want to learn more. If that's the case, feel free to send him an email or give him a call. I'd love to talk with you. If this episode was helpful to you, we'd be so grateful if you subscribed or followed us, left us a review, or shared our podcast with someone that you think may benefit from it. If you're looking for more leadership content, be sure to check out our social media. We post snippets of these episodes, leadership development resources, and more. If there's someone you think would be a great guest for us to talk to, feel free to message us on social media or send us an email at leadwisco at gbcc.me. Thanks for listening and have a great day.